You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 25 is where we're going to be, and as you find it, if you could just stand, uh, we, we stand out of uh, the honor and respect of reading the scripture here, and uh, Genesis 25, and uh, we, uh, today marks the beginning of kind of a new, a new phase, uh, because we've been looking at the life of Abraham since January, and uh, here we are in October, and we're moving on from Abraham, but I just want to say what a man of faith Abraham was. And what a life of faith that he lived, and he wasn't perfect, but I, I think about God calling him from the Ur of the Chaldees to go to a, city, a, a country he hadn't even shown him yet. Abraham left and, and obeyed. I think about Abraham taking his trained uh, servants in his own household to go rescue Lot uh, from the kings there. And I mean, what an exciting um, story and life that he had. I, I think about his willingness to take his son Isaac to the top of the mountain there and offer him, if so be, and yet God sent a ram just at the right time, and yet he knew God, Abraham knew, or God knew Abraham um, was, that he was first in his life, and because he was willing to offer Isaac, I mean, I just, it's an amazing life that he lived, and, but, but one thing that I want to point out before we get into this is that you don't practice faith without opposition. You don't get to live a life of faith and have it just always be easy. And that's the thing I notice in the book of Genesis is you've got these stories that everything is up and great and then it seems like the next chapter it's down. And then it's up and it's great and then the next chapter it's down. And really today's story emphasizes that very thing. And I just want to say if you joined or if you signed up to follow Jesus because you thought it sounded fun, you might be in the wrong club. Because there are times that following the Lord is not easy. And it's always rewarding, but it's not always easy. And this is a story of that very thing. Let's begin reading in verse 11. This is after the death of Abraham. It says in verse 11, Genesis 25, 11, And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt by the well Lorihoi, which is in the land of Canaan. And then Moses, who wrote Genesis, he goes on to start talking about the generations of Ishmael. That's Abraham's other son, who he had with Hagar. And, uh, and he talks about those offspring and where they settled. And we're not going to read those because they really aren't what the text is focusing on. Um, but the, verse 17, it says, And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, a hundred and thirty and seven years. And he gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of his brethren. I just want to point out that what became of Ishmael's seed was they, they settled in the areas around Canaan, but they didn't settle in Canaan. Um, Canaan was promised Abraham's seed. And we see that taking place here, that that was the land meant for Isaac alone. And then verse 19, it says, and these are the generations of Isaac. What became of Isaac's seed is the idea. Abraham's son, Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paden Aram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, and this is a key question for the text today, if it be so, why am I thus? The idea is, if this is what you wanted, why is it like this? If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So she goes to pray to the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So just to do the math, Isaac was 40 when they got married, and it took 20 years for them to finally have children. Look at, look at uh, verse 26, uh, verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And this text is hard sometimes. It's hard when you're, when you're preaching a text that kind of really is setting it up for the next text and then following chapters. It's hard to know what to land on, but I do think that God wants me to preach on a subject today that I'm titling, When the Struggle is Real. Because the struggle is real. And it's real for Rebecca in her womb, the struggle was real. For Isaac not having children, the struggle was real. And there are times when the struggle is real and we choose what we focus on. We either focus on the struggle or we focus on God. And I want to look at some truths today that I think will help us. Let's pray that God blesses the reading of his word. Thank you, Lord, for this text. Thank you for this chapter and these, these words that you preserved for us perfectly and faithfully. We're grateful for them. We pray that you'd help our hearts to be open. I do believe that there's a message for us here. That you'd help us then to hear what you have to say through your spirit illuminate the word and that you'd help me to convey it clearly. God, pray that it wouldn't be me, that it would be you and your power speaking this morning. We need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we get in, kind of dig into the, the text today, I just want to point out that we've come to another genealogy. And the genealogies here in the book of, of Genesis or, and really throughout the Bible, sometimes they get a little bit long. And it's hard to read through them all. But I want to remind you, I haven't done this in a while, but just to remind you who's reading this book for the very first time. Moses wrote these words so that the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they're probably in the wilderness, and they might be getting ready to take the promised land. When they came to a genealogy, they probably didn't skip it like we do because they were looking for anything they could to latch on to God's promises. And if they could trace their lineage Back to Abraham, they knew, okay, we are God's people. He is working for us. And if you can imagine walking through the wilderness and, and wondering what's around the next corner, you probably would latch on to every bit of assurance you could get. 
So the genealogies are here for the sake of the children of Israel to trace their roots all the way to Abraham. And part of that was that God had called Abraham to go and possess the land of Canaan. And they're walking toward Canaan. And if they're wondering, is God going to give us the land of Canaan? Well, they are from the seed of Abraham. God promised it to Abraham and they could have confidence that Canaan was going to be theirs. And as a contrast, we, sh we see that Ishmael's offspring, what became of Ishmael's offspring was they kind of settled in the land around Israel, but then they kind of fizzled out. Well, God's people don't fizzle out. And we see that from verse 19 on that it tells us what became of, Abraham, of Isaac's seed. And, and this section of scripture, it really can be understood by studying the two prayers of Isaac and Rebekah. I believe that there's a lot of telling information in those two prayers because the struggle was real for them. There was a struggle in their lives. And I see Isaac's prayer in verse 21 kind of gives us a struggle of desperation. It's a, there's a struggle of desperation in that he's praying for his wife to have children. Does that sound familiar? I mean, remember, Abraham and Sarah spent um, decades, literally 25, 30 years, praying probably their whole lives, really. But they were praying for God's promised seed to come through them. And Isaac finally came. And you think, well, the story is settled. It's all fixed. Well, then here comes Isaac and Rebekah, and they can't have children either. And I just want to remind you, Isaac waited for 40 years before he was married to Rebekah. He trusted his father. His father sent a servant um, hundreds of miles away to find him a wife from Abraham's family. And they come back and they get married. And you would think at this point, the Bible would say happily ever after. You know, sometimes don't you just wish you're reading through it and you know it's coming again. And you just wish it would be different this time. I don't know if you ever read your Bible like that, but I do sometimes. I just think, uh, maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe this time there's a happily ever after. But you get to Genesis 25, after Isaac and Rebekah, he's waited 40 years to marry her. She's this young, beautiful, perfect woman for him, and, they, and yet now they can't have children. For 20 years, they can't have children. For 20 years, they wait on their happily ever after. For 20 years, there are no babies. And listen, sometimes you follow God and you do everything right, but there's still a struggle. And we don't know why the Lord allows things to happen that way. I, I, except that I believe that sometimes God allows those things to remind us that without him, we are nothing. He said, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We are nothing without Jesus Christ. We are nothing without God. And by God producing yet another miraculous birth, we can't help but be reminded that he's the one behind it all. He has a plan, but we have to trust his plan. We have to trust his resources for it to happen. I mean, Abraham was a great man of faith, and, and yet he needed the Lord to do a miracle in Sarah. And here we see Isaac, and he's reminded of the same thing, that we are nothing without God's grace. So he, he has faith, though, in God's promises because he goes to God for, for help. And he knows what's at stake. He knows that God has promised all of these blessings through their family. That God promised his father they would inherit land and that they would be a blessing and they would bless all nations through the future Messiah. And when he prays, he prays by faith. The Bible says that he pleaded with the Lord. Verse 21, Isaac entreated the Lord. A desperate need calls for a des desperate plea. You know what? It's okay to desperately cry out to Jesus Christ. It's okay to desperately cry out to your father. 
And sometimes I think we have this spiritual pride in that we don't want to admit that we can't. But listen, there's nothing we can. We need God at every turn. We need God in every facet of our lives. And, and listen, sometimes, and I just, I'm not trying to manufacture something, but if you have a desperate need in your life and God moves in your heart and you have to come down to this altar and desperately cry out to him, it's perfectly acceptable to do that. You can do that here. You can do that in your living room. I've done it many times just driving down the road and something's about to happen and I cry out to the Lord. When Peter started sinking, what did he do? He said, Lord, save me. And he said it in desperation because he was at the end of himself. And Isaac is at the end of himself. They've been married who knows how long when he goes to the Lord in prayer. I mean, many years and there's no babies. And, and he cries out in desperation. There's a struggle of desperation. But for Rebecca, there's a different struggle. In her prayer, there's a struggle of expectation. So Isaac has a struggle of, a struggle of desperation but Rebecca has a struggle of expectation. See, her children are struggling together in her. They finally conceive and, and she finally has children or a child coming in her mind. And apparently, though, it was violent enough within her that she was concerned. Now, if you have more than one boy in your house, then you probably understand this. I mean, all it takes, really, it just takes one boy to go from calm to nuclear. We've discovered in our house. We just spent a week with a pastor, Pastor Ben Moore and his family, and they've got four boys. And I'm telling you, you had to be careful walking around every corner because you never knew what would come flying at you at any moment. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a wild week, but it was a lot of fun. I had the scars to show, too. I mean, those boys, they were just fun. They're just, they just excited, and they're just into it. And listen, and she doesn't realize it. Uh, I believe that Rebecca's concerned because she doesn't know there are two babies in that womb. I mean, their ultrasounds weren't quite as, um, um, you know, technological back then. So she doesn't realize it. She's assuming there's a baby. And here come to find out there are two babies. In her mind, she goes to God and she asks a question. And this important question is for us as well today. We'll see if it be so. Why am I thus? God, if this is your plan, why is it like this? If this is the way it's supposed to be, why is this happening? Lord, the other ladies that I've seen... They don't, they don't have these struggles. And if you can imagine, if there's other ladies with, a, with one baby, their struggle probably isn't the same. But she's got two, and, and she's saying, the other ladies, Lord, it's not happening to them. If this is normal, why is this happening? If this is your plan, why is this not easy? And, and that she, she has a struggle of expectation, and that she expects things to be a certain way. She expects that these certain things will be happening, and, and yet God's promises don't always come easy. The promise is still real, but the struggle is also real. And Abraham and Sarah, they had to learn it. Now Isaac and Rebecca are learning it. And I want to get back to that thought for the application, but first I'd like to understand from a big picture, here's why the struggle is real. And here's the reason for the struggle. God gives it to her, the Lord does. In verse 23, he said, The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And you have to think, she said, Well, based on the violence going on, it feels literally like two entire nations are in the womb. Two nations are in thy womb, he says. He says, Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And that means the children inside of her were two completely opposite personalities. 
Two manner of people, two manner of men, the personalities, we're going to study or look at that a little bit. He says, then the one people shall be stronger than the other. He says, one of the children will be strong, the other child won't be as strong. We have to assume that means Esau, because Esau was a strong, manly man. But he says, in contrast, though, the elder shall serve, would serve the younger. And now, that's... You talk about heaping struggles and conflict onto the situation. That does. The culture said, didn't say that the younger would, would, would be dominant over the, the older. That was not culturally accepted. In those days, the oldest child received the greatest inheritance. He received the authority. He received the respect. And here's what God, listen, here's what God is telling Rebecca. If you think there's conflict now, just wait. If you think it's difficult now, those boys wrestling in your belly, they're just getting started. If you think the struggle is real now, it's going to get realer. I don't know if that's a word, but I typed it in my notes. Therefore, it's, it's canon, okay? I doubt that's what Rebecca wanted to hear. I doubt she wanted to hear from God. Okay, yeah, it's, it's hard right now, but I'm telling you, once those babies are born, it's smooth sailing after that. He doesn't tell her that. He says there's two manner of people. They are opposite personalities. There will always be conflict. There are two nations. They will be at odds with each other. They're, they're, the older will be strong, but the younger will be dominant. He will have dominion. And so that's what she hears. So the boys are born and there's even conflict in the birth. Verse 25, it says that Esau came out. He's the first one born and his name literally means, um, are you ready? It means Harry. And aren't you glad we don't name our children after their most prominent physical features? It's like, you know, this is my daughter, Baldy. It wouldn't really age well, would it? My brother Samuel was a preemie. And, uh, and according to his parents, um, you know, if we were naming it after the prominent feature, we might be calling him Mr. Alien today. <laughs> you know, aren't you glad? His grandparents are probably, nah. <laughs> he was a beautiful baby. Grandma especially. By the way, great to have the Hardys and the Paynes here visiting this weekend. Didn't point them out earlier. It's a blessing to have them. But, you know, I'm glad that we don't do that anymore. Because he comes out and here's Esau and he's Harry. And that's what they name him. They, they basically name him Harry. He's red all over like a hairy garment. And, and he comes out and he's and literally though on the heels of Esau. This, the first one comes out hairy. The second one comes out. And I'm just imagining a chubby little baby hand holding on to the foot of his big brother. Following him right out. And they name Jacob. They name heel grabber is what it means. It means supplanter. And so if you're walking along and somebody grabs your foot, you'll trip. And that's the characteristic of Jacob that comes out. And they name them after, they name Esau based on his appearance. They name Jacob based on what he's doing. And it's amazing, though, that as you study this, that two boys born seconds apart can be as different as they were. And if you have more than one child, you know this to be true, that, that it's, it's wild how different children can be coming from the same set of parents. 
Uh, You would think that all your children would basically be the same, but they have different personalities and they have different strengths and different weaknesses. And and some love to be outside and some love to stay in and read and some are loud and some are quiet. Some are shy and some are bold. And there may not be two more different brothers than these twins, Jacob and Esau, born seconds apart, but really worlds different. Here's the character of Esau, verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. He's, Esau was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. And uh, yesterday I went to Shields for something and, and was just there for just a, a little bit. And I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it's hopping with, with hunters. You know, pheasant season is coming and, and deer season and people getting ready to be outdoors. Esau would have been at Shields yesterday, I think. He was a hunter. He was a man of the field. But really, man of the field doesn't just imply that he liked to be outside. As you study his life, it's fitting that he was a man of the field because as a man of the field, he was restless. He was always looking for the next thing to stimulate him. He was that guy that if he was alive today, he'd be jumping out of airplanes and he'd be doing the next thing that that would stimulate his flesh. He was restless. He wasn't content to just be at home. And he was the kid. And if you've got children and you know there's somebody in your family that's always saying, I'm bored. What is there to do? That was Esau. Now compare that to Jacob at the end of verse 27. It says, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. He, He was a homebody. He preferred to maybe be around the house. And naturally then Isaac loved Esau because he brought him fresh meat. Rebecca loved Jacob because he was in the home and willing to help. And before we give Jacob too hard of a time about being a homebody, uh, we need to understand what the, that the word plain doesn't just mean what we think it does. The word plain means perfect, undefiled, and upright. And, and it's the same word that God uses to describe Job when he said, a perfect man and upright. It's the same word. And you say, well, I don't know about that with Jacob. Well, Jacob was certainly not sinless. We know that Jacob had character flaws, but he did, though, as we go along, we do see that Jacob had a heart to receive the blessings of God. And now he, he didn't go about it the right way. But he had a heart to follow God. He had a heart for the blessings of God. And so you've got these two contrasting brothers. Esau, Esau or Coleslaw, and Esau, his brother. Esau was, was restless. And, uh, and that's canon now too, because I just said it. Esau was restless. He was looking to get away from the house. He was being led about by his flesh. Um, and, the ne- and the next thing, is, you know, the next thing that came along would stimulate him. And that's why his restlessness, his desire to kind of do something away from the house, it led him, it got him in trouble in the very next episode when there's a bowl of beans and he has the choice between a birthright and, and a bowl of beans. But Jacob, on the other hand, was content to be at home and do what he needed to for the family. Now, he wasn't perfect, but he didn't seek to be satisfied out there. He was content to find his satisfaction in the life that his parents lived. And now, again, he wasn't perfect. He wanted what God wanted, but he didn't do it the right way. But still, he valued the things of God's blessings. He valued God's blessings and he valued God's promises. And Esau didn't. And that really is is the difference between the two. 
Esau is represented by flesh. And the other, and Jacob uh, is, is represented, he represents a desire for spiritual things. Listen, as we go through their lives in the coming weeks, we'll find that Jacob wanted to receive God's blessings and promises and did it the wrong way. But Esau really didn't value the blessings of God at all. He was willing to part with them over something that appealed to his flesh. And their differences, listen, their differences created a lifelong struggle. And Rebecca was the first to have to deal with it. And I just want to go back then to the point that I made earlier. And that God's promises don't come easy. I mean, if God's promises came easy, then Jacob and Esau would come out. And yeah, they may be different, but they'd be the best of friends. And they'd grow up together and they would, they, would, they would spend time together and they would want what God wants together and God would use them and grow them and you would think this is the happily ever after. This is the way it's supposed to look. That God wants everything to be good and he wants everything to be smooth and the happily ever after is supposed to come. But that's not what happens in this story. And a life of faith, listen, it will be a life of struggle. As long as you follow God, you'll deal with struggles. Isaac waited till he was 40 to be married and God brings the right one along and they can't have children. That's not the way he envisioned it. Rebecca heard from everybody how God had cho chosen their family to bless their family and bless the nations of the earth through their family. But along come these two brothers and they're totally different. And it creates conflict their whole lives. They're the father of different nations that are be at odds with each other. Esau is stronger than Jacob, but Jacob is cunning and a trickster and he's manipulative and he will get the blessing and the birthright. He'll, he'll be over Esau, his big brother. The simple fact that God chose Jacob over Esau, his older brother, meant that there was going to be more conflict and more conflict. And some use this point, by the way, to say that God chooses who gets saved or not. And that's not what this is about at all, friends. Every man, woman, and child it, it, it has a free will to choose God. He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And listen, I, it is obvious that God chooses of these brothers. He chooses the one that values his blessings the most and is more, is more God-minded. Esau was profane, it says later on. But just because the Bible says that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, it doesn't mean that God chose Esau not to go to heaven. It means that he accepted Jacob to be the one through whom this seed would continue. And he rejected Esau based on Esau, his character. And we have to be careful to assume that God chooses some of us. Listen, God did not choose me to get saved and not you. He died for the sins of the whole world. God so loved the world. And you can be saved today if you simply choose God. He chose you and now it's time for you to choose him. And that's the idea. But I want to go back, though, to Rebecca's question. If it be so, why am I thus? See, Rebecca wasn't the first or the only person of faith to ask a question like that. You know, Isaac could have asked that question, if it be so, why am I thus, at year 15, when they were, they'd been trying to have babies for 15 years. Abraham could have asked that question about his barren wife, Sarah. If it be so, why am I thus? If this is your plan, why is it like this? Jacob could have, he could ask it later when he's tricked by Uncle Laban. Joseph in the, in the, in the prison, he could have asked it uh, about Potiphar's wife. He could have asked it about the pit after his brothers threw him in there. God, if it be so, why am I thus? 
David running through the wilderness could have asked, fleeing for his life from King Saul, he could have asked, God, if it be so, why am I thus? I'm your chosen king, why am I running? Daniel could have asked it in the lion's den. And Jeremiah, just reading about him this morning in my Bible reading, he could have asked it from the bottom of a dungeon. The disciples could have asked God, why, if it be so, why am I thus? Right before they were martyred. If it be so, if this is your will, why am I thus? Why is it so hard? Why is the struggle so real? I think there's hope in God's answer in verse 23. And it's not obvious, so I don't want you to miss it today. Look at verse 23 again. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So he gives her the reason for the conflict. He says, your sons are opposites. That's why there's conflict. But then it reminds her that the elder shall serve the younger. And now you're waiting for the big reveal, aren't you? Well, okay, what's the point? Well, here's the idea. God says, the struggle hasn't canceled the fact that I still have a plan. When he says the elder shall serve the younger, he's, he's saying, yes, it's a struggle. And yes, there's a conflict. There's two manner of people in your womb. There's two brothers in there. They're going to have different nations. And yes, and the older's going to, or there's going to be one that's stronger. But he says, but just let me remind you, the last thing I want to say is the elder shall serve the younger. And what he's saying is, yes, there's conflict, but I still have a plan. Yes, it's hard, but I'm still in control. Yes, it's difficult, but I, that has not canceled my plans at all. The point being made here is the struggles don't catch him off guard. The difficulties don't catch him by surprise. And he's saying when we're struggling, listen, when you're struggling, it's not about getting the answers you want. It's about trusting God's plan. And when the struggle is real, if I was to sum it up today, I'd say this, when the struggle is real, we don't need to know the answer, we need to trust God's plans. And see, we're all about getting the answers. I mean, but God's answer to Rebecca was this, I may not give you the answers you're looking for, but I always have the plans you need. And our struggles may even go on for a while. They did for Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and Isaac. But God's plans aren't canceled just because you're struggling. God's plans are not canceled just because it's hard. And Isaac and Rebekah needed to learn this test of faith for themselves because a life of faith is a life of struggle sometimes. And there's some truths that we need to learn in this. And one truth is this, that every child of God must go through their own struggles in order to build their own faith. See, Isaac and Rebekah had to learn what Abraham and Sarah had already learned. And that is that nothing grows our faith like struggles. The trying of our faith worketh what? Patience. And I've never grown so much in my dependence on the Lord than when things have been hard. When things have just been difficult and you don't have the answer and you're not really sure why it's so hard and why it has to be so hard. But listen, if you've ever been in a situation that it was just desperately hard, I'm telling you, your times of growth will never be more than in those times. And when the finances are hard and the bills keep piling up and you're saying, but God, I'm putting you first. Well, the struggle is meant to grow you. 
It's there to make you better. It's there to transform you from where you are to where you're supposed to be. That's what James 1 is saying. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And so we regret, we, re, we resent the struggles, but we're missing the fact that God wants to use those struggles to transform us into something we could never be without him. And that health trial that you're facing, a doctor can only take you so far. There will be a time where you have to just stop and come to the end of yourself and say, God, this struggle is bigger than I can handle. And let him just transform you through the struggle. You'll have people problems in your life. And listen, there's no better way to learn how to respond like Christ than to be around people that make it hard to. And you work with some like that, and you've got maybe some even in your own family. And listen, forget the fact that the struggle is there. The struggles are always real. And remember that every child of God must go through their own struggles in order to build their own faith. Another truth that we can learn here is that faith comes when we focus more on God's plans than his reasons. Faith is built more when we focus on God's plans than his reasons. Listen, he doesn't owe us answers. In Job 42, I think about what he told Job. Um, what Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And he never, you know, listen, Job, we never, we're never told that Job got answers on earth. We're never told that Job got reasons on earth. But what Job said is through all of that, though, uh, through all of this, before I used to just hear about him, but now through the difficulty, my eye sees him. And my, step, my, my faith has been built because I've come through this. And, and I, I needed this. So, but, but listen, Job didn't have answers. And you say, well, Job, everything came out right for Job. Uh, but when he said that, it seems to me like that was before everything else came out right again. And we need to focus more on the fact that God has a plan than we, than we are focused on the fact that we want answers. Friend, you may not ever get answers until you get to heaven. You may not ever see what God was trying to do through that difficulty. It may, not ever come, it may not ever come clean. It may not ever come out. And your whole life, if you're just waiting on answers, you may die waiting on answers. But you can rest in the fact that you don't have to have the answers to trust God's plans. And the third truth I see here is that God's plans may not be what we prefer, but they are always what's best for us. We all come to a point in life that we either submit ourselves to God and trust him or we walk away because of our unmet expectations. And I know people that have done that. Listen, they have expectations about God and they have disappointments in God and they have these unanswered questions coming, not coming from God and so they walk away because they're struggling. And I just want to say this. Listen, if you're struggling, you're not the first Everyone deals with this. But can I tell you what helps me first? God's word helps me. Because uh, I read a verse like Proverbs 14, 12 that says, uh, for the, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so I go about thinking, well, if I had my way, if I did it my way, it would be way better than, than this, whatever's happening in my life. And yet God reminds me in Proverbs 14, 12, that my way actually isn't the best way. And if I had my way, it would actually lead me to destruction. So I therefore need to trust a better plan than mine. And a better plan than mine comes through a verse like Romans 8, 28. 
All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. So Proverbs 14, 12, here's how God's word helps me when I'm, when I'm dealing with unmet expectations, is that just because I want it a certain way doesn't mean I'm right. Usually I'm wrong. But second, if I will just trust God's plan, his plan is always best. He always has what's best for me at the end. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. We can trust in his plans. We may not see the end, but we know that we can trust that God is working. God's word is, is, is really primarily the first thing that should help you when you're dealing with these unmet expectations. But the second thing is the example of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? He said, if it be, let this cup pass from me. But he says, nevertheless... Not my will, but thine. Amen. Amen. And I just want to remind you that when you think God's not being fair because you have unmet expectations in your life and, and he's not giving you everything you want the way that you want it, he's not asking you to do anything he didn't ask his own son to do. That's right. Jesus Christ in the garden looked up to God and said, God, please, in my humanity, in my body, I don't want to go through the, the torture and the suffering and the shame. I don't want to have to go through that nevertheless and for us to think that we should be above what Jesus Christ had to endure I mean woe unto us God's not asking you and your struggles to do anything he didn't ask his own son to do and Jesus Christ was willing to go through it because you know he believed it that God's plan in the moment in his body, it's not what he preferred, but he knew God's plan was best. And aren't you thankful? Because if Jesus Christ had operated like we do very often, he would have stopped way before the cross and you and I wouldn't have any hope of salvation. Listen, you can be saved today because Jesus Christ operated by the principle we're looking at this morning. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I think the applications are, there's some real struggles in this room. Many here have had disappointments. You've had disappointments in your life. I mean, maybe, it, maybe it's about having a child and, and many couples wait. Some wait a long time. And I, and I can't give you an answer. The point is not the answer. The point is that God has a plan. And you may not get the answer, but you can trust God's plan. And he's in control of your life. Maybe you're praying for a wayward child and you may not get the answers you want and you may not even understand the reasons. You don't have to look for the reasons. You just have to trust God's plan. And if anybody can do it, God can do it. And the finances, you've been trying to do things God's way and you're like, Rebecca, it's like, if it be so, why am I thus? I mean, I've, I've put you first and the bills keep coming. Now, seeking his kingdom, his kingdom first means you may not see the answers, but you can trust he always has a plan. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do and he'll prove himself. You've got a health trial or maybe there's something in your life and it's limiting you and, it, and it's painful and it's, and it's damaging to what you want to do and, and it's limiting what you, what you choose or what you would choose to do if you could and you're not sure how it ends and you don't see an ending. And listen, you may not ever get the answers, but like Job, you can say God is God and I trust his plan. Raising a child and you thought it'd be easier. 
You may not see the end, but you can trust that God's plan will work. Stick it out with that child because God's process will transform that child like, like no, no self-help books will. Maybe you're trying to hold a marriage or a relationship together and you may not see how it's going to work, but God has a plan and if anybody can touch a hardened heart, it's the God of heaven. If you will trust his role for your life, you may not see the end, but you know he has a plan. And that new situation you're in, that new job, that new house you thought was the answer, whatever it is, it's been nothing but difficult. You have to believe that even though you don't presently have the answers, God is using those circumstances to help grow you because he has a bigger plan for your life. There's disappointments and unfulfilled expectations and delayed answers. And you know what? They, always, they all mean this. The struggle is real. And when you find yourself asking, if it be so, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and it, why is it thus? Why is it a struggle? Here, that's when you have to lean on God's answer to Rebecca. The only thing you know is it's going to be a struggle. But he says, and sometimes that's part of following me. And there are reasons and I may not give them to you, but here's something you can know. The elder shall serve the younger, meaning my plan is still in place. And if you've done all you know to do, the Lord still has a plan. Here's the reality, though. When you're struggling, are you going to focus on getting answers? Or are you going to focus on God's plans? That's the difference between the ones that used to be at East Side. And aren't anymore. And, and, I, and I don't even know all the ones that used to be here and now they're not. I mean, this history of this church goes way back, farther than me. But I really believe if people would catch this principle, uh, we, would, we would have to have two services today because the sanctuary would be so full. But because people in their lives, they come up against a struggle. And, uh, and then in, in the middle of the struggle, they lose sight of what they should be focusing on. And they start focusing on the struggle. And they focus on the fact that they don't have any answers. And they don't have any reasons. And it bothers them. Those are the ones that don't make it. The ones that do make it say, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a struggle. And yes, I don't have the answers. But I really do, though, have the answer. The answer is that God still has a plan. Sometimes that's the best answer you can hope for is that God is still working and he has a plan and my struggles don't cancel what God is doing. This is faith. This is the definition of faith when you can't see the end and it doesn't seem to get easier and when your expectations are disappointed and when the struggle is real. Faith says, God has a plan, that's my answer. When you're disappointed, God has a plan, that's my answer. When your expectations aren't met, God has a plan, and that's my answer. When the struggle is real, God has a plan, and that's my answer. Listen, there are some in here struggling with your salvation, and you're a sinner before God. God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And I'm telling you, that sin is a struggle in your life. And I'm telling you, you will not find answers anywhere else but Jesus Christ is the answer and you turn to him and you say I couldn't find answers out there but I notice here you have a plan it's a cross 
And when you stop trying to formulate your own plans that lead to destruction and you turn in faith and accept Jesus Christ as the plan to deal with the struggles of your sin, you find that his plan is the answer. You can find the answer to your greatest problems in Jesus Christ. The struggle is real, but God still has a plan. I, I was thinking about a song while I was preparing this message. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I want to just read the lyrics. Because I think they said, well, it as well could sum it up too, by the way. Exactly, this is the point. All things work for our good. Though sometimes we don't see how they could. And struggles that break our heart in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. And His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember, you're never alone because God is too wise to be mistaken. And God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And he sees the master plan. And he holds our future in his hand. So don't live as those who have no hope. All our hope is found in him. We see the present clearly, but he sees the first and last. The elder shall serve the younger. And like a tapestry, he's weaving you and me to someday be just like him. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Sin, you may not ever get the answers, but you can always trust his plans. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I encourage you, if God's moved in your heart about making a decision, responding today by faith, first to those that don't know you're saved, maybe you came in here today and you say, I don't know if I died today that I'd be going to heaven. Listen, I want to encourage you to just forget everything else and step out. Come today and place your faith in Jesus Christ. His plan is the only plan to fix your struggle of sin. And you don't have to wait. You could come now and I could show you from God's word. We could send somebody with you to show you in private how you can, if you die today, know that you're on your way to heaven. But for the rest of us, maybe those in our lives that are struggling in a struggle and you've lost sight of the fact that God has a plan And you've been looking for answers instead of looking for plans. And you've lost sight of where your focus should be because it's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard. But if you trust God in faith, you can always know he has a plan. And your struggles haven't canceled God's plans. I'm going to pray. And if the Lord's worked in your life to move this morning, would you do it? Don't hold back. Just have the courage to step out. And especially if you need to know Christ as your Savior, you can this morning. You come and I'd meet you right down here and show you from God's word how you can know. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd move in us today 
in a special way, God, would you give those courage that are here now, that are at their seat, maybe struggling whether or not they should step out. God, just help them to take the first step. Would you give them the peace and the comfort level to do so, God? I believe there are probably people here who need to place their faith in Christ and settle their salvation. Would you give them the courage to do so? And then for those of us who may be struggling with struggles and we've lost sight of the fact that we don't get the answers, Lord, help us simply to focus on the fact that you still have plans. Work as you will in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.